Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. Show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, licensed fishing guide, your best friend, chief executive fish nerd of the Fish Nerds podcast. Super happy to be here. And I am Doug Glimmerveen, host of the SmackDown Outdoors podcast, joining and, the show today. And our guest, and and uh, I'm gonna just, I'm super happy to for people who don't know who Doug is. Um, I'm excited about meeting Doug. I've been listening to his show now for a little while, and I've been impressed by him. And I, the other day, I was listening to his most recent episode, and I thought, I got to get Doug on the show like now. And I messaged you, and boom, there you are, just like that. Yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, like we talked a little bit before we started recording that we got to work together. I mean, we, podcasters work together. We do. It's kind of a nice thing about being a podcaster. So before we jump into um, our content here, first of all, tonight today's show, we're going to be talking about fish in the news. I got a contest update. We have a interview with Jim Crowley by a listener. And we answer the questions today about what makes Doug Glimmerveen so angry. Those are all important parts of the show. But before I even get into that, um, I want to know who is Doug Glimmerveen and what is SmackDown Outdoors? Well, the SmackDown Outdoors podcast, I decided to start a podcast because I was listening to them for a long time. You were one of them, the fish nerds. And uh, oh, yeah, go team fish nerds. And (laughs) being a fisherman myself, I'm a fish nerd. So there we go. But. I decided, you know, I wanted to start a podcast, didn't know what it was about, but I just went out one day and said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I bought a microphone, hooked it up to my computer, started talking to it, getting comfortable. And I know a lot of people in the industry. I've been in the outdoors industry for about a decade now. So I know a ton of people in the fishing world and hunting world. And I just decided that I was going to have guests every show that I possibly could and try to teach people about fishing, about hunting. I've had a trapping episode, a falconry episode, uh, one with an author. So for me, it was just, I'm a failed TV and YouTuber, (laughs) you know? So I'm a a failed author. That's why I podcast. I'm with you. Exactly. And that's why I've got a podcast because I I didn't have the money to be a TV guy. I wasn't loud and and brash enough to be one of them, you know, loud YouTube guys. Mm -hmm. And I found this and it's my niche. And so far it's working out better than the other two options. Sure. And when you're an expert failure, podcasting is all you've got left. Exactly. (laughs) Seems to be about right. If you can't do it, teach it. Yeah. And, and eventually with podcasting, what I'm finding is the longer you do it, the less of a fail you live in. Like it's, it feels like it's like a negative statement to say, I started off podcasting because I failed at other things, but we always do new things because we fail at other things. That's, that's how we grow as, uh, as people and entertainers. So, but Hey, welcome to the podcast. 
it's an it's a huge honor, a yeah, huge right. honor for you to uh, ask me to come on here, and I'm gonna hopefully savor every minute of it. Well, it'll be a lot of fun. We got a lot of show tonight, and and I'm excited about it. So we're gonna jump right in. And I I actually want to start off with you as our content oh, because boy. your most recent episode that I listened to uh, was I. Uh, was a dumpster fire episode and you were going on, you were just on a terror. You were angry. And I thought, Chris, I want to talk about what makes Doug Glimmerveen so mad. And uh, so that's what we're going to do tonight. What makes you angry? <laughs> what makes me angry? Uh, what makes me angry is the, the bit, it, I mean, it's not even a bit. It's the, it's the truth. It was a couple of posts I've seen and, and I've, on, in one day, I saw two posts in one day where people were talking about products. One was a hunting one, one was a fishing one, and the quote unquote dumpster fire that continued in the comment section about, you know, this is better than that, and you know, you you got to use this, and you know, you need to stop doing this and that and the other, and it was just. I had reached my boiling point to the fact where I needed to just get it off my chest, put it out there in public to calm down everybody. Yeah. Let me stop let, it. Let me kind of put this in context. Okay. This is anyone who follows any fishing or hunting or probably any page of any kind where people ask for advice will fall into this kind of uh, pattern. And here, this is the classic one on the ice fishing uh, pages. Uh, what's the best drill to put on my nils for a cordless drill attachment very specific question let's say the person saying i already bought a nils yep which is an auger what is the best drill to put on it and you'll get 37 comments oh get a k drill the nils is garbage or get an ion the nils is garbage or get a whatever the nils is garbage people avoiding answering the question right, right. the question they should be saying Get it to Walt 20 volt brushless, exactly, <laughs> or a Milwaukee 20 volt brushless, or whatever 20. And people are so ridiculously brand loyal on these things, too. Like, it's none of these people are being paid, right? They're we talked about this in your show. Well, that's the thing, they're is so that, loyal. They're yeah, so half, half the people that are commenting and fighting they paid full price for everything. Mm -hmm. So, why are you running your mouth about it? You didn't get a discount, you're not. A staffer, you're not working for these companies trying to help your brand grow. You paid full price. You've got no skin in the game at all. So what do you care? Stop yeah. it. Yeah. And they get so like so fighty and mean about it. Oh, yeah. Um, or this happened to me the other day. I actually this is a true story. This is I actually yesterday I was ice fishing with clients. I'm a guide. Um, and we had two different brand fishing tents on the ice, and there was no snow on the ice. So you anchoring it, you have to anchor it directly to the ice. You can't bank them with snow. I had a blue tent and a red tent. Yep. Arguably both made in the exact same factory in China. I am confident. Probably. Probably. They have a little different anchoring system. We, were, we had four hours of staying 40-mile-hour winds all day uh, with clients. And the clients were brave and stayed in the ice. They didn't even go in the tent. They were outside fishing in this awful weather, which I would, by the way, on my own, never fish in. I would just say, that's the day you stay home. Right, right. Because they gave me $300, we're going out. Yep. And <laughs> that's, <laughs> the guides, that's the guide's oh, three hundred. Like, you want to go fishing? No. You want 300 bucks? Okay. Yeah, okay, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, we'll go. <laughs> so, so we anchored both, and this, this, we anchored both tents to the ice, and uh, two and a half hours in, uh, on the blue tent, whose name I won't name, everyone knows the name, yep. uh, 
all the straps tore off at one time except for one. And we end up with a box kite flying there attached to one oh. anchor. <laughs> Thank goodness the anchors we used belong to the uh, Red Tent Company, who makes the best fishing anchors around. Yes, I know. <laughs> I, I use the same ones, I'm pretty sure. They're terrific. Yep. And so we were able to keep it, but man... I could like they the straps literally tore off the blue tent, right? Oh. Like just the, the most important part. Right. So I post on Facebook. I said, Hey, I was fishing today in a blue tent and it blew away today. All the straps tore it off. And the responses I got was, Don't <laughs> buy from that company, it's garbage. Right. But my my favorite response was was, Well, have you thought about putting snow around it? Oh, <laughs> And it was like, there's no snow anywhere right now. It's just all sheer ice. And right. so I commented back, well, next time I'll bring a five-gallon bucket of snow. What am I going <laughs> to <laughs> like, I wasn't even asking for advice. I was just telling a story. But man, everyone has advice they want to give. Oh, yeah. And they're you such can, Facebook experts. You can put a post up of just a stick. Yep. And, you know, people argue whether it's a branch, a stick, or a twig for 400 comments it's and it's and it's sometimes it's me doing that i i am guilty of that myself and sometimes i do it just to see how far i can push somebody yep you know just kind of asking one more question now tell me more about that twig you know and so <laughs> i used to be, yeah. i used to be that guy but i quit doing it because i just i needed to take a step back and who's ah and relax and not yeah. be stressed out over stupid facebook posts which don't matter in 10 minutes anyway. No, you get sucked into the vortex of uh, Facebook once in a while. So Exactly. You end yeah. up burning up in the dumpster fire. Yeah. And one of the things I listen to your dumpster fire episode, I admire about you. The thing I can't do, and the reason I need guests on my show, is I can't, I've never done a solo show where I've just talked for an hour. Um, I, find, I, I get lost in And I work as a DJ in the, on, a, on a radio station where I talk to nobody all the time. Right. But somehow well, on, a, on a podcast, I find that challenging. So I need people like you to come on. Yeah, well, I've only done a few episodes by myself, and typically I keep them shorter. Mm -hmm. My normal episodes are two hours long. Uh, but every once in a while, I get on if I don't have a guest or I didn't get done editing a show or whatever, or I just feel like getting something off my chest. But it's, I'm, I'm, I think I might start doing it a little more because yeah. I actually like being able to just talk for a half hour to an hour about one thing, get it off my mind, and just Put it out there. Well, it's a real skill, so. and and you also do a fun fact Friday, which I've been enjoying. You know, I get get to learn about you know whatever it is you're in the mood for that week, which I like. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, short I started, episodes. Yeah, I started doing that. I was just like you let me do a Friday episode, and all of a sudden, just fun fact popped in the back of my head, and I'm like, well, there we go. That's yeah. what the new episodes are about. And you do uh, like a toss back. What do you call them? The Rewind Wednesdays, uh, mm -hmm. where I I started re-releasing because I've got a hundred episodes re-releasing from the beginning all you know episode one that way it's just in people's rotation for the new listeners so they don't have to go back and right which is smart I was doing that for a while we call them throwback Thursdays yep but I, I lost my energy with it I get I got bogged down with 250 episodes of uh, just unorganized mess of stuff. <laughs> well, you got to keep so, it organized from the beginning they're all in one file numbered one through whatever and yep yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I started out with a different co-host. We had, a, he was storing the files first then he gave me them all and they're all out of order. And oh. There's no numbers on the first 150. So you have to kind of guess which, yeah, it was yep. anyway. Uh, so but anyway, thanks for coming on the show and I'm glad you're here. So let's, let's, uh, before we go any further, I want to do a contest 
update. We Every month here at the Fish Nerds, we run a, a call-in contest. Our phone number is 607-378-FISH. And this is where listeners call the show, leave us a voicemail, and everyone who calls in is entered to win a prize package. This month's prize package is a Fish Nerds uh, baseball hat like I'm wearing uh, and some decals and fishing lures from Glasswater Angling and whatever other crap I have laying around the office. And this month's question, we want this before our St. Patrick's Day show. So we've got a week left on this. And the question we're asking this month is, what's the luckiest thing that ever happened to you while fishing? So here's how you do it, Doug, if you're going to call the show. You call 607-378-FISH and beep, beep, boop, 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 boop. And, you, and when, you answer, when, when the phone answers, you talk. And you talk slowly and clearly so I can understand you. And you say things like, hi, my name is Doug. I'm from, where are you from, Doug? Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota, don't you know? And, <laughs> and then you tell us your story and give us some detail and talk like a little step slower than you usually would talk so I can understand you, right? Then when you get done your story, take a little breath and give me your address and your name in the way it would look on an envelope so I can write it down and mail you a decal because everyone who enters is going to get a Fish Nerds decal that we get made from uh, Backwards Graphics. And they're, they're good decals and they will stick on things. So <laughs> well, that's the most important part that decals stick on things. You'd be surprised how many decals I've had that don't stick on things. <laughs> so, but it's really fun contest and everyone who enters will get mailed a decal. And if you enter previous contests and you haven't got a decal yet, it's either because I haven't mailed them, which is the most recent case, but if it was two contests ago, it's because you didn't give me your address in a way where I could write it down or, or it got returned to sender. So instead of emailing me your address and hoping I resend it, enter the next contest and get it right this time. Save me the work. I'm a one-person operation, and I'm unorganized, and I'm a mess. 607-378-FISH, and we'll get you your stuff. And it's a fun. Doug, what's the luckiest thing that's ever happened to you while fishing? Oh God, the luckiest thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's kind of a bad thing and a good thing at the same time. <laughs> I was a bow fishing guide, and we were we. I'd be. You were a bow fishing guide. Yes, we have a whole other show. No, oh, not boy. now, but Here we go. I a lot to talk about there. Go ahead. So I was a bow fishing guide, and mm. we backed the boat into the water, and we did this at night. So we were there a little bit before dark, and all of a sudden. No, this is the bad, but the good is that one of the clients looks in the boat and goes, hey, did you forget to put the plug in the boat? <laughs> I go back there and I look and water is halfway up the boat. Get a bucket. <laughs> I, I ran to the truck, backed it up as straight and as fast as I have ever backed up a trailer in my life. Absolutely perfect. Put it on the trailer. Took about a half hour to drain all the water out. So the luckiest thing is that he noticed that otherwise another... 20 minutes and we would have had a sunk boat at the ramp you'd have been that guy i'd have been that well i technically was but we it saved was. it oh man <laughs> that's good uh in a future question coming up it's going to be tell us how fishing has ruined your life so that's coming up probably in may or june oh i can't wait to that one <laughs> that'll be a good one so we're trying to mix them up a little bit but i've been enjoying those and i really love the customer the customer the listener feedback on those things so i've been really enjoying that um i'm going to do a quick pause for a uh for a uh, sponsor read here if you don't mind yes sir all right so right now 
I'm actually super happy because we have a, our biggest sponsor of the podcast yet. And these sponsors are really important to us because they help uh, keep wind in our sails and keep uh, gas in our tanks and keep this pirate ship moving forward. And so right now we're being sponsored by a shoe company called Alukai. And I'm going to read their ad here. At Alukai, we handcraft Hawaiian-inspired footwear, finding inspiration in Hawaiian culture and craftsmanship. Fishing is at the heart of Hawaiian culture today, just as it has been for centuries. Generations of fishermen and women expertly cast from rocky shorelines and sandy beaches. They spear fish, throw nets, fly fish, and navigate their boats beyond the reef and into deep blue in search of the next big catch. No matter how they do it, there is an attention to detail and respect for the ocean that guides their passion. At Alukai, they believe in the same attention to detail when crafting the highest quality shoes and sandals built for every type of marine environment. Alukai's water-friendly Nohea Moku slip-on shoe features razor spring with non-marking rubber for extra grip on the deck, dock, or rocks and designed for easy on-off barefoot wear. Doug, you're going to like these shoes. These shoes, the heel has like it falls in when you put your foot in and it's designed to pull out so you don't have to untie your shoes at all, which oh, I, which I nice. love. Um, nice. And they're comfortable, which is also important. Uh, and when it comes to sandals that perform, Alukai's new Uleli provides the comfort and durability of sneaker for those long days on the boat or on the shore. And these are flip-flops and they float, which <laughs> in the fishing industry is a shocking amount of things that don't float. So it's nice to have shoes. <laughs> everything, that, should, everything should float. <laughs> Doug, I, I, I used to bring kids fishing as my job on a pontoon boat every day, and they, we would lose probably seven rods a summer. What the hell are fishing rod manufacturers making if they can't make rods float? It right. doesn't make sense. Like, it's the dumbest. So dumb. It makes me insane. Anyway, uh, I, the shoes are great. I'm actually super excited about them. They sent my wife and I both uh, a set of shoes to wear. It's still 35 degrees out here in New Hampshire. It's still icy everywhere, so I haven't tested it out in the wild yet but as soon as the the lakes get liquidy i'm going to put them on and take them out but they but i like them a lot and more importantly my wife likes them which means i get to keep making a podcast because she got shoes so thank you alukai and you can go to olukai.com slash fish nerds and you can check out those shoes and just just clicking through on our show notes to the page shows support for the product so if you like us Go support the people who support us. Uh, Doug, you have supporters on your show. You've got um, a battery company or a power box company, right? Yes, yes. Yes. And it means a lot to them. If someone clicks through your show notes, even just looking at their stuff, it means something to them. It means, you, it means that people care about your show. It's valuable. Correct. So, so yep. hopefully people do the same, the same for us here at Fish Nerds, um, O-L-U-K-I dot com slash Fish Nerds, and check out some really cool shoes from Hawaiian, from Hawaii, which are exciting. Um, it's important to us that you do that. We also want to thank our Patreon subscribers. I, next week, I will go deep into Patreon a little bit and read all the names, but we're open that everyone will give us $5 a month. Uh, we For a long time, we were... We had it at a weekly basis, and we were asking people for a dollar a week. And I talked to the makers of Patreon, and they talked me into changing it from a weekly donation to a monthly donation, which means if you said you were giving me a dollar a show, uh, now you've said you're giving me a dollar a month. So I went from $4 a month per person to a dollar 
a month per person, which cost me 75% of my income uh, by taking the advice of Patreon. <laughs> um, and you can't go back. You could, I couldn't undo it once I did it. So if you've been donating for years at $1, I'd love it if you went back into Patreon and adjusted your donation to $4. Everyone who donates gets Fish Nerds um, decals coming in the mail, which will be happening next week. I got new decals in. And they will also be getting a Fish Nerds ringtone. They could pick from Fish in the News theme um, or uh, or actually show theme for your song. So that'll be a good start. And we'll start doing some more Patreon-only content, hopefully, in the future once I start having more time. So those are our promos. Thank you, everyone, for your patience with that. Uh, and we're excited about everyone. Every dollar makes a big difference on this show. Help support the show so I can keep listening. Dang it. Dang it. Yeah, I mean, it really does matter. We have to make money or we can't do it. There's no way I'd make a show for seven years if I couldn't afford, if a show didn't cover its own costs, at least. And right now, it's not. So <laughs> we need to get there. And this, this show costs about $200 a month to produce. So it's not crazy expensive, but it costs a little bit of money. Oh, yeah. It's, yep. a, it's surprising sometimes. And I want new microphones so, and a new computer and new office. So anyway... And I want to take my wife out to dinner once in a while. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the most important part. It really is important. So, all right, we're gonna Doug. We're gonna jump into the news here. Yes, sir. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. All right, and and we've got three news stories today. Um, first one is from Wired to Fish. And I'm going to read these, and we're going to just jump in talking about Ranger Boats. Oh, that's not what I wanted to talk about. Screw that story. <laughs> that's not the one I wanted. <laughs> All right, so forget that one. I don't care about your boat. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is from CNN.com. An Australian thief used a fishing rod to steal a Versace necklace. So that's fishy news. I heard about this, but I didn't actually hear, read, or see the article, so I'm, I'm interested about this one. Well, here you go, from CNN, so it's real news. Uh, Melbourne police are searching for a thief who used an unorthodox method to steal a Versace necklace. The man, who has not yet been identified, used a fishing rod to remove the necklace from a mannequin in a high-end fashion store in Melbourne, Australia last week, said the police in a statement Wednesday. Uh, the incident happened just after 2 a.m. on February 24th, and security footage released by the um, Please publicly by the police show the man walking up to the store, holding a fishing rod and looking around seemingly at, at an empty street. Authorities believe the man made a hole in the storefront glass window, then slid the fishing rod through the hole into the store to lift the necklace from the mannequin inside, um, according to CNN. So that's, I, I think it's a great use of fishing rod. <laughs> I, I mean, if you're that good at fishing, start catching fish, enter some tournaments, buddy. Yeah, but he is in Australia, so. Uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> That's it is, incredible. It is incredible. Now, I've, I've done, I found, I once locked my keys in my car and using an ice fishing rod through a crack in the window, I was able to recover my keys. So I, I think I'd make a good thief. <laughs> well, hide your Versace necklaces around clay, everybody. I know. I'm, I'm just surprised I read the word Versace right. There you go. Yeah. Versace. <laughs> you don't even know how to spell Versace. Yes, no, I, I Versace. F O Sache. You've never seen Friday, have you? No. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, okay. It's from the movie Friday. It's funny. Right, I believe you. <laughs> from CBS News, Florida man finds a trove of valuable treasures from a 1715 shipwreck. Whoa. 
I know. Indian River Shores, Florida, a trove of Spanish coins dating back to one uh, to one seven one five shipwreck, seventeen fifteen shipwreck during a storm have been found along the beach in Florida. Uh, that forty three year old treasure hunter Jonah Martinez located the coins using a melee detector. He was able to dig out twenty two silver coins estimated at were valued at six thousand dollars. Who's a nerd now? Uh, Twelve Spanish galleons laden with treasures from the world, from New World, were bound for Spain in 1715, but eleven were lost during the hurricane off the coast of Florida, and most treasures are still living beneath the sea. Uh, Florida law requires recovery permits for individuals who want to explore, or recover artifacts on state-owned lands and underwater, but not on a public beach. So he gets to keep them. Wow! So, I know. So all those melee detectors out there now, all those guys who are wandering the beaches, people making fun of. They're all going to point to this guy as, but that guy did it. <laughs> right. Yeah, he can. He did it. Why can't I do it? Yeah, why can't I do it? So it's pretty good for him, though. That's exciting. Yeah, no doubt. I never find cool things. <laughs> no, no. I've thought about getting a metal detector, but I just don't have time for it. So No, what I did pick up was a, uh, a magnet for magnet fishing this week. So I'm excited to do some magnet fishing coming this spring. Have you done that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but if anybody's wondering, yes, magnet fishing is real. Just YouTube it. It is pretty cool. It's I've, I've been uh, one of our listeners, Gerald Olson. She she's been into it lately in New Jersey and been sharing videos and stuff on our Facebook group, which is a fishers podcast group, and it got me excited about it. I did buy a magnet last year and I put it on my boat and I can't find it, so I had to buy <laughs> another one. Uh, and it's somewhere, it's somewhere on my boat under something. It's under stuck there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but you, we wouldn't pick it out from anything. So. <laughs> All right. And there's a really big uh, breaking news story from the New York Times uh, that we must talk about it. Uh, and this is going to be in the travel section. Actually, Sunday it actually hasn't come out in print yet, but it's on their website. And the headline is, Ice Fishing is Fun! Exclamation point. So I'm going to read this one because it's really important. Uh, No, really, a trip with a New Hampshire guide reveals how much the sport has evolved while keeping the eternal battle of angler and fish at its heart. Um, So it's about New Hampshire ice fishing. And the author is Steve McConey, who incidentally is a comedian from uh, New York who writes for both the New York Times and The Onion. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, <laughs> two, two, okay. different, two very different uh, writing styles, I think. Yeah. Um, and I took him fishing last year, and this is where this article comes from. Uh, with frozen dirt road crunch, crunching under the car tires, my longtime, this is written first person by Steve, uh, my longtime fishing buddy and paleontologist Mike and I pull out of the driveway of my family cottage in New Hampshire for the hour drive northeast towards the White Mountains, where an, in, in, where an invite we've long coveted has us giddy. That, that was me inviting them. Uh, when I invited him, by the way, I did not know he wrote for the New York, New York Times. I invited him because I wanted to go fishing with him. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a sit on a frozen lake. Any mention of ice fishing usually comes with a built-in beat of silence requiring either no explanation at all or listening to puzzled, are you joking comments. Growing up, ice fishing was an angling of, was angling of last resort. We set our tip-ups, wooden devices that sat in the hole and popped a flag up if a fish took your bait. Then we played hockey. There aren't many sports so boring that you have to start playing another sport in the middle of them. <laughs> <laughs> that, when I read this, I, I was laughing so loud when he said that. <laughs> uh, I think it's perfect right there. Awesome. Sentence. Perfect description of how ice fishing can be. Our games were rarely interrupted by flags, but advances in fishing technology, better understanding of fish behavior, and even social media have changed the sport from a caricature of inactivity 
a metaphor for blind, ineffective wading in subpar conditions into an action-packed fish-producing winter pastime. There's way more moving around now, me, meaning some, uh, and excited gadgets threaten the sport's fundamental sad conceit by actually telling you if anything is down there. That's a lot of words in that sentence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. I did have, sometimes I'm like, wait, I got to read that like three times to understand what he was talking about. It's, it's smarter writing than I'm used to. Uh, right. Yep. <laughs> so instead of the movie uh, Grumpy Old Men, I tell people to imagine zipping across a frozen lake on a snowmobile. By the way, on my machine, the word zipping is a, a, a loose term. Uh, <laughs> and an ice shack so warm, you may take your coat off in a real-life video game on a sonar screen where winning leads to celebration at whatever pokes through the hole. Imagine fishy photos, true Instagram bait, and maybe dinner to take home. Uh, add warm snacks, jokes, stories, and fortifying beverages, and suddenly ice fishing doesn't sound so bad. So I'm it. I want to go ice fishing now. Uh, so do I. I know. And Let's today go. we'll be fishing with Clay Groves. That's me, a licensed New Hampshire fishing guide, obsessive fisherman, uh, and who once went on a quest to catch and eat all 48 species uh, in the state and host of the Fish Nerds podcast that brings together, codifies people <laughs> interested in fish, fishing, and eating fish, covering everything from biology to cooking. A former science teacher, Mr. Groves, it's funny, hosts uh, like a cross between click and clack of car talk and Bill Nye the science guy. That's a nice compliment, by the way. Um, <laughs> and it's not the first time I've been compared to click and clack. Uh, uh, NPR also made the same comparison. Oh, uh, his his campaign against lead tackle and data based discussion on the, about the gentlest way to hold fish uh, leaned toward an informed hunter hippie vibe similar to Steve Renal's Netflix show Meat Eater. So now I have to watch Meat Eater. I've never watched it. <laughs> He's got a podcast too. I I never. It's the it's the number one podcast in the outdoors, and I've not never ever pushed play. <laughs> I think I think I'm just jealous. <laughs> he he doesn't need our help. No. <laughs> No, but hey, he got to mention. I should tag him in this post. Um, there you go. So Mike and I are at Silver Lake in Madison for the same reason people listen to the podcast. Community within an often lonely sport, a few laughs, and to steal as many fishing tips as possible. I should tell you, Doug, we run an Instagram um, hashtag called Suck It Silver Lake because yes. this, this lake is the hardest lake I've ever fished in my entire life. Like it is, I, There's fish everywhere, and they just don't eat. And what kills me is people want to go fishing there. And you've said that many, many times on your podcast. It blows yeah, my it, mind. People are happy to pay the money to go out. Well, they also think they can beat it. Oh, that's you know, right. they want to be the one who defeats the lake. Now, I always catch fish there now, but my clients don't always. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But I don't go back. Vinny, my, Vinny my, my partner in the business, he fishes that lake every single day. He's obsessed with it. And he, and he still maybe every other day gets a lake trout out of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, trout are hard to catch anyway. They can so be. If that's what basically is only in a certain lake, it's tough. You're not going to yeah. go out there and catch them like crappies or bluegills. Uh, no, although on Lake Winnipesaukee, it's easy. You 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 know you can have a nine lake trout day. Huh. And jigging for lake trout in the fall on Winnipesaukee, you can have a thirty or forty lake trout day. Hmm. Vertical jigging. So uh, it's not this. It's a different planet. Um, I suspect that what prevents people from trying ice fishing, besides its reputation of being unpleasant, boring, and dangerous, is not realize, realizing that guides exist, which is true. I got a trip like a like nature tour mixed with deep sea fishing charter, minus the seasickness, helps anglers safely visit spots and does away with the guesswork and hassle of gear and bait. We always call it a time money swap. You hire a guide, 
you can skip the work and just go play. And make um, sure you tip your guides, people. It is nice to be tipped. Yes. Um, although, to be honest, like there are sometimes where I, I get clients who, I mean, I charge enough money where I'm, I'm happy with being paid. Um, but once in a while, you get clients who maybe they can't afford to tip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we charge a good amount of money. And so I, I never feel like I'm owed a tip. I do like getting them. Yep. Um, it is gravy, but I do. I, it's a weird, I always, it's a weird place to be. The tipping is such a weird thing anyway. My, I always wonder, should I just charge 20% more and say no tips? <laughs> but I think yeah. it's easier to sell a trip cheaper and get a tip than it is to charge more and then not sell. I don't know. It's a whole debate there. Um, yeah. Anyway, at 164 feet, Silver Lake is one of New Hampshire's deepest bodies of water. It has no reported invasive aquatic plant species. Uh, once we arrived at the lake's public boat launch, Mr. Groves, I, so bizarre to call me Mr. Groves, uh, scoops up scoots up to the snow-covered boat ramp on a snowmobile, says hello, and ferries us one by one to the fishing spot. We zoom over foot-thick ice covered in packed, crusty snow. The cloudless sky is Windex blue. I'm glad I remember my sunscreen, sunglasses, and face mask. Mount Chikora crowds us from the north. By the way, Mount Chikora is the second most photographed mountain in the world. Um, it's just such a prominent thing here in New Hampshire. Uh, Mr. Groves points out spots on shore where E.E. E. Cummings' treehouse was, where Grover Cleveland partied. A uh, solitary blip becomes our destination, a hut fashioned from a pop-up camping trailer converted with plywood sides and solar panels. As I hop off the sled, the insulating snow gobbles all the sound. The light out here, amplified by the Grand Plaza of Ice, is extreme. Somewhere between the White Sand Beach and, and Operating Room, <laughs> White Sand Beach Operating Room, as Mr. Oh, Mr. Groves is such a bizarre thing. As Mr. Groves goes to pick up Mike, because they should call Mike like Dr. Mike or something. Um, <laughs> Mr. Groves. <laughs> yeah. It's so formal. Like I, I've been friends with Steve for a few years. Uh, Mike in the snowmobile fades. I realized something miraculous. There's no wind today. And that is a miracle, by the way, some days. Mm -hmm. Ice fishing is always fun, sometimes because of enthusiastic weather. I like to phrase that. Like. Uh, but on days like this, when besides the occasional distant whine of gas auger or the ice pinging in its thickness, a sound like whales playing laser tag beneath you, when you're half a mile from anything that even could make a noise, the silence feels almost wholly cloistered as one of the pop-up, is on the pop-up remoteness of a newly frozen lake. For three months, New Hampshire essentially gains more than 250 square miles, roughly a quarter size of Rhode Island, a flat, undeveloped public space. That's kind of a cool fact. Yeah. I, I wonder how, uh, I'd have to look that up for Minnesota, because we've got 11,000 some lakes, so. Oh, I bet you gain a lot more than we do. Yeah, probably the size of New Hampshire. Probably. Uh, seat cushions, propane heater, and a propane heater welcome us inside, as does a bearded man in unironic Carhartt's, <laughs> Vinny Machuro, another fish nerd's guide. <laughs> I, I was so happy to read this description of Vinny. Uh, so <laughs> he should go to Carhartt and get a sponsorship right now. Right? Because <laughs> I guess if you live in Manhattan and you wear Carhartt, it's, it's, it's like drinking a PBR. It's ironic. You have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they all have beards and flannel shirts. Exactly. But Vinny means it. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, so tell you history of Vinny. So Vinny owns an ice cream shop in North Conway, New Hampshire. So in the summer, he runs that shop. He's, that's all he does is scoop ice cream. So his primary fishing is ice fishing. And so that's all he does all winter is sit on buckets and fish hours and hours and hours a day. And that's why he's so good at it. Nice. And he grows that beard as a necessity to keep himself warm. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, because he doesn't wear clothes. He's just naked out there with a beard and his Carhartt pants. That's it. And how much? And how much does he charge again? <laughs> Quite a bit. But he's a good looking. He's a good looking hairy man. Uh, <laughs> uh, solar powered Christmas lights hang on uh, simulated hardwood walls, and there's an iPhone charger. Charger, and the floor has holes in it. Ice fishing gear usually looks uh, ridiculous or cool or both. The rods are two feet long. The augers are lawnmower engines or cordless power drills attached to a three-foot corkscrew blade. The hardest part of ice fishing used to be making a hole in the ice, <laughs> Mr. Groves said. <laughs> Mr. Groves, <laughs> this is killing me. Stubby computers <laughs> in zippered lunch coolers help find fish. And outside, Mr. Groves sets those rustic Rube Goldberg devices tip-ups. By the way, I hate tip-ups. I hate everything about them. Yeah, I, it's about once a year I'll put a tip up out and it never gets bit anyway, so who cares? Yeah, well, it's funny. The other day, um, we had some clients from Canada and they called me up and they, they speak French and they said, Clay, we want to catch brook trout. And I said, fat chance, not going to happen. Um, how about we go fish for bass? And they're like, nope, take us where brook trout live. I said, well, I'm going to take you where they live, but we're not going to catch any. They said, great, let's go. Here's my money. I said, okay. All right. <laughs> I'll take your money. <laughs> right. And I'll, and I'll show you where they live, and you're not going to catch any. We'll probably catch a perch or two. So we went out to the spot, and it was 55 degrees out, sunny, and no wind. So like that day, that rare winter day where you're fishing a T-shirt. Yep. And we drilled a bunch of holes, and we decided to hedge our bets by putting up tip-ups. So we put four tip-ups up. We're fishing in water one foot deep which is where I know brook trout like to go hang out. They chase uh, little minnows under the, under the ice. And uh, we just dangled a few minnows under those tip-ups, and we're jigging some holes around. And the client, the, his name was Hans, dropped his jig down with a piece of worm on it. And right as it went through the ice, he caught a 15-inch brook trout. Oh, jeez. Right, sight fishing for it. You can see it come out of the hole. He's like, oh, I got one. And then one of the flags popped. And we go running over, hit and run. We take that minnow off, that, off the uh, hook, put it on the kid's jig. He drops it down, and boom, another brook trout. We got seven brook trout that way. Almost all of them hit the flag but didn't get the hook in their mouth. And then we just jigged where that was and got the fish. Huh. Well, so you that's proved our, wrong, I guess. I, well, what a good way to be wrong. <laughs> right. Because yeah. those same clients came the day after. We, they, they, let's go tomorrow and do it again. So uh, I'll take I'll take. I'll take two days of pay. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Thank yeah. you. Come again. Thank you. So, yeah, a little fun brook trout tip right in the middle there here. Um, and I, and by, But I'm afraid to sell that trip and market that trip because I don't think I can reproduce it. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those that you just thank it. Thank, uh, thank goodness it happened. Thank, and thank the fishing gods. <laughs> yeah, thank the fishing gods it happened and move on. <laughs> yeah. All right. We loaded neon jigs with dead smelt, plop them through black holes, and check our fish finders with, uh, with the head sideways... <laughs> Looking one place, but moving something important with your hands somewhere else. Self-seriousness of arthropostic, of, of what? Arthroscopic searches. It's so cool. Do you, you know how long it, it took me to read that line? Well, I, I was just, <laughs> this is my first time really reading this deeply. So, <laughs> Oh my God, it was horrible. Uh, it was. It, well, it's funny that I, I'm, I'm on the fence whether I want to read the rest of this article or not for now. But the, 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 uh, the New York Times says, uh, Steve... The writer for this must have texted me sixty times, fact checking this article, like just the details. Yeah, and so what I understand is New York Times expects everything to be perfectly accurate as far as factual goes. You can have biases, but they want everything to be factual as possible. So even for a silly travel article about ice fishing, 
we had to, I had to show him evidence that Grover Cleveland partied on that lake and oh that, God. and that E.E. E. Cummings had a house on that lake and all this kind of stuff. So, Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, I think I'm not going to read the whole article. I think people can go online and, and read it for themselves. But basically, it goes on and on and on about about how we fish, about the podcast, about how they only caught one fish on the ice that day and then went into shallow water and got rainbow trout. Um, but it's actually really cool. And for for a small business like mine, I, it's just me and Vinny uh, running a business, to be featured in the travel section of the New York Times is kind of uh, – feels like a big deal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's really cool. Congratulations, sir. Hey, thanks. And I'm actually really happy too because they mentioned the podcast. Um, yeah. Which which my in my in my dream world, Doug, the podcast is my primary income is through sponsorship and other and Patreon or wherever else. Like people the podcast brings the money and then the guide service is supported by the podcast. Well, that and you can quit working your other two or three or four jobs you have at whatever time of year. Right. I can stop bartending. I can stop teaching at the community college. I can just focus on the fishing industry stuff I want to do. Yep. Um, even though I enjoy my other stuff. I don't mind bartending, and, but um, I would like to spend more time with my wife and kids. And unfortunately, being a guide means on the weekends, I'm gone. Like I am just not home. Yep. I, I'm, the, I'm the same way. I'm, it's either a show or I got to go podcast somewhere or mm-hmm. just fishing or hunting. You should see my calendar. I, I need to uh, schedule stuff with my wife about three to four months in advance. Right. She said, you want to go out for dinner? Is it on the calendar? No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you think we can hold hands tonight? Well, it's not on the calendar, baby. Sorry. <laughs> so. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know what I found? I, I, it's funny when I read that article and I read the whole thing, it's it's very interesting to see the difference in geography when it comes to ice fishing and different uh, you know outdoor activities. Like in Minnesota, it's a way of life. I've been doing it since I was a kid, so it's not a big deal. It's not like some you know kind of like uh, you know you kind of said a holy experience or something. Right. And it's it's just so normal to me that I was reading it, kind of chuckling at parts. Right. Because it's like, well, that's normal to me, but you know maybe not to that guy because he lives in the city or. You guys also don't get as much ice as we do as long, so we're fishing longer. Yeah. Well, last year we had we were on ice before Thanksgiving and off the third week of April. We had oh, our, really? we had over six months of ice and over three feet uh, on Silver Lake by the end of the season. This year we barely have ten inches. Okay. And uh, so we, yeah, it's very different out there. I'd love, I would love to get out your way and do some ice fishing. Yeah. Come on through. Yeah. It's just I need. That's why the show has to start making money. So I can go out and record like travel adventures. Yep. I'm just you know? too stubborn. I just do it anyway. So I, well, if I had any money extra at all, I would. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But no. there's, there's no money, you know, yet. So the account, just, yeah. The accountant upstairs doesn't always uh, enjoy it, but no, she, she lets me do it anyway. So, well, you're, you're very lucky and, and mine, mine does as well, but um, I've been doing it seven years. And so I have to be very careful how I test uh, the next, <laughs> the next fishing hole, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just broke a tour that I'm going to Lake Michigan in May. And she goes, wait, what? How what? are we paying for it? I'm like, it's- well, here's what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good news is, is when you travel, like I went to Washington this summer and I did stories on travel, uh, fishing stories in Washington, record them. So there's a portion of that vacation. I took my family. I can write off Yep. on my taxes as part of my business and my LLC is an entertainment LLC because fishing and podcasting are both entertainment. So they're under the same umbrella. So, yep. Yep. So it all works together there. So, 
But yes, so what else? So you you're a that's all for the news, by the way. Let's move on past the news. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. All right. So so Doug, you work in the outdoor industry. You've been a guide, you said earlier. Uh, I was a bow fishing guide, yeah. um, not a f- normal fishing guide or a hunting guide, but yeah, I, I was a bow fishing guide for three or four years here, here in Minnesota. Now what's required, like New Hampshire and Maine, becoming a licensed guide is really challenging. It's a three hour, four hour oral board. You have to prove to a panel of judges that you're an expert outdoors person. What's involved with becoming a guide in Minnesota? Um, you put a, add on Facebook and say, Hey, who wants to go fishing? I'm going to charge you 300 bucks. You're kidding. I'm not. And that's, <laughs> and now there are certain waters. Uh-huh. There are certain waters like the rivers, uh, like the Mississippi and on the North side, rainy river that runs into Lake of the woods. Um, I believe Lake Malax. There are certain bodies of water where you have to have your coast guard license, right. but if well, I for the boating, wanna, yeah. Yep. If yeah, I just yeah. want to become a fishing guide today, I just put an ad out there. Hey, who wants to go fishing? I charge 300 bucks. Wow. That's it. That's, that's it. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm, I've always thought it was very odd. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge proponent of that myself. I mm-hmm. wish they would make you at least get the Coast Guard license. You know, I mean, you, you should have insurance enough on your boat or your business should have enough insurance to where if something happens, you're covered. Mm-hmm. But I think you should have to, you know, do the whole Coast Guard thing where they send you through this, you know, CPR training and, you know, safe boating and, and all this stuff. Uh, it, it, my guess is it'll change sooner or later. Uh, uh, you'll see most of the country is just like Minnesota. Yeah. So most it's just, you just pay the fee. Yeah. You can you just buy the license. Um, New Hampshire requires for boating, you have to have a commercial operator license, which is a higher level license than a normal operator. Not a Coast Guard unless you're doing uh, coastal waters. Our lakes aren't big enough to, rec- to need Coast Guard level certifications, right. um, but you definitely have to have a commercial operating license and your boat has to be registered and inspected commercially and have like so much rescue gear on the boat that you can't fit fishing gear on the boat. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, we have to have type one PFDs on the boat for every, every passenger on the boat. Yeah. The type ones are the big orange ones that are not squishable. They're big squares, and oh. they don't condense down. You can't squish them. Okay. They're, they're guaranteed to operate an unconscious person, and okay. they take up all the space. Wow. Yeah, they're made boring. for yeah. They're made for like deep sea stuff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I guess it's better than nothing. I, we don't, you know, I want to be in business, but that means it limits the competition. There's only eighty, maybe eighty three guides in the whole state of New Hampshire, and maybe six ice fishing guides. In the whole well, state. you guys are the guides are loving it then, right? And, and and what I do in this area of Mount Washington Valley, where I live, is anyone I know who is a guide, I say, hey, why don't you come guide with me? And we Perfect. work together, we collaborate, and try to build this need for a guide. My hope is this uh, this travel article in the New York Times gives us the clientele to do that. So I'm sure you'll get some uh, some clients from that. If not, it's just really fun to be in the New York Times. <laughs> well, you, you, New York Times, Mr. T- <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Groves. Yes, I'm fancy. Very fancy. All right. Let's talk about uh, 
our, our correspondence. On this podcast, uh, my dream for this show is to grow it to the point where I have content coming from all over the world from our listeners who we call correspondents. Um, longtime listeners will know we've got Doc Martin, uh, who is our science correspondent. My daughter, Zoe, is our chief uh, kid correspondent. Um, we've got uh, the crappie hippie, who is our hippie correspondent, our lead-free guru. Uh, we have Hugo, who hasn't been on a long time, but Hugo was our cooking correspondent, uh, and others. We have a lot of, of the amazing James uh, and a few others who have been contributing for years. And, and we always are looking for more, and the way you contribute is by giving me something and then we'll see if, if we like the content and we use the content. And I get really excited when I get new stuff from listeners. And so we have a 14-year-old listener whose name is uh, Elijah Bradley. And Elijah is not a correspondent for the podcast yet, but he's excited to bring us some content. And he went out to the Quad Cities Outdoors show, which is, I think, in Iowa or something. I don't know where it is. Uh, and he bumped into Jim, Jim Crowley of Hook and Hunt TV, which you can find at hookandhunttv.com. Incidentally, I've not, I don't follow uh, outdoor television at all, so I don't know all the TV stars. So my yeah. apologies for not recognizing the name right away. But Elijah, I haven't, I yeah, no idea what that one is either myself. Yeah, but Elijah went out and got this interview, and I'm going to play it for the, for Elijah and for you now. And here's what my expectations are: if you want to contribute to the show, um, audio quality is the number one thing. So. Uh, if you do, if you do want to contribute, email me clayfishers.com. I will recommend some affordable audio gear that you can get to start making your segments for the show. But it takes practice, and Elijah's 14 years old, and we're excited to have uh, his contribution. Okay. So, uh, first, I guess, uh, what kind of fish do you fish for, like a main species? Main species, probably with my show, would probably be largemouth and smallmouth bass, but I'm known as a multi-species angler, so everything from northern pike, muskies, anything in freshwater and some saltwater, yeah. if it's got fins, I fish for it. What's your favorite lure for, like, just bass in general? That, I'd probably say the most productive for big fish for me for largemouth would be a jig. And probably my, probably my favorite lure for smallmouth to fish would be a jerkbait. What kind of, what size and color do you use usually? For okay, most of the time when it's jigs for largemouth, it's either going to be a combination, black and blue, or a combination of black, blue, and green pumpkin. Um, usually with stained or muddy water, I'm going to use contrasting colors like black and blue, or brown and orange, or black and red. When it comes to clear water, whether it be largemouth or smallmouth, then I'm going to go more natural colors like green pumpkin or watermelon. Okay, how did okay? you start fishing? My dad started me fishing when I was three years old. Okay, so he would take me in the boat with him, um, and by the and he'd bring some toys in the boat with me. And by the time I was five, I didn't even want to play with toys anymore. I just wanted to fish. <laughs> That's kind of what he did. Yep. Where's your like favorite body of water to fish? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, if it was salt water, I love fishing out of Venice, Louisiana, uh, for tuna and redfish. That's that'll just ruin that'll ruin you. I'm just telling you that'll ruin you. It's a lot of fun. When it comes to smallmouth, I love to fish Ontario. When it comes to big pike, um, I like fishing in northern Manitoba. And largemouth, you can catch anywhere across the country. So I love Wisconsin. I love Minnesota. I love Illinois. A lot of good places. Now you were on Midwest Outdoors. Correct. Yep. Is there any other like TV shows or anything that you're on? Um, well, right now I have my own show, which is called Hook and Hunt TV. 
So anybody can easily find us there just by going to Facebook and like Hook and Hunt TV. Okay. And you can also find us on the Pride Outdoor Network on Amazon and Roku. We have a YouTube channel, but more people see us on Pride on yeah. Pride Outdoor Network than anything. So do you guys have like a uh, clothing line or something like no, that? No, we business? don't have a clothing line, but most of my clothes, as you can tell, uh, even matches my rods because I am known as an extremely flashy dresser. <laughs> um, all my all my clothes, all my fishing and all my hunting gear is from Prime One Camo. So I use that both on the water and when we're duck and goose hunting. Okay, so you, the listeners can find it at... Uh, uh, they can Actually, they can go uh, to the Prime One Camo website, and if they put in the code HOOKHUNT25, they'll get 25% off anything they buy from Prime One. Okay, so do you just fish, or... I love the duck hunt. The part of our show that we focus on for Hook and Hunt TV is duck hunting. Mostly okay. divers, so bluebills, canvas backs, things like that, because everybody else has done deer hunting to death. And I don't know another way to shoot a deer besides right at dark on the last day of the hunt. It's the biggest buck they've ever seen in their life. So we focus mostly on duck hunting. Uh, I also heard you mention something about saltwater fishing. Well, yeah. What so about it? Your favorite fish, you said, or your favorite species of fish that you fish for? Uh, redfish, did you say? I love redfish. I love yellowfin tuna. Uh, the biggest fish I ever caught in saltwater was a 10-foot swordfish. That was a little over 200 pounds and took me two and a half hours to reel in. I was, I was one tired cowboy after that one. So when you're fishing for redfish, yeah. what do you use? Well, it depends. We can use The cool thing about redfish is you can, you can fish for them just like you fish for largemouth. But when you get the really big reds, like the 20, 30, and 40 pounders, a lot of times you're using cut bait for them because um, we literally had fish in a 45-inch range. So a lot, even though you can catch them on, on on lures, a lot of times it's just fish and cut bait, just like you were catfishing. Okay, so they're just kind of like scavengers. Little... Oh, they're pretty aggressive. Like I said, they will hit just about any lure that you can bass fishing. Uh, just like a lot of saltwater fish, they're opportunistic predators, man. They, they don't care if it's alive or dead. One thing about fishing in Venice, Louisiana, everything there either wants to bite you, eat you, or both. <laughs> so I like fishing. Uh, thank you for doing this. You're very welcome. Thank you. Sure. And what's your name, uh, crack reporter? Uh, Elijah Bradley. Okay, Elijah. Thanks for the interview. I really appreciate it. Thank where, you for where's, the interview. Where's this going to go? Uh, the Fish Nerds Podcast. All right. Thank you, uh, Elijah. And if you have any advice for Elijah as listeners, you can call us up, 607-378-FISH. Leave us a voicemail and give him some advice. Uh, what I think what Elijah learned today is that interviewing is hard. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's hard for me, it's, and I do it a lot. Doug, is it easy for you? Uh, it's becoming easier. It gets yes, easier. easier. Yeah. And yes. the, the biggest oh, recommendation... always hard, but... The biggest recommendation I can do if you're going to interview someone is plan what you're going to ask. And I, I like to go in with an interview with, I don't care about like, I don't like long form interviews myself. I would rather have the person I'm interviewing be part of whatever content I want to talk about. So if I was talking to, to Jim Crowley of Hook and Hunt TV, I might want to be talking to him about, hey, how did you get on TV? Something very specific about it as opposed to a broad question of you know, your whole life. So that's the kind of stuff I like to go. So you use them for content. Uh, but hey, great stuff. And Elijah, thank you so much for, uh, for producing a segment for us. Congratulations on your first unofficial uh, Fish Nerd Correspondent uh, 
segment. <laughs> Congratulations, Elijah. Yeah. And I would love to get on the phone with you, Elijah, and give you some real advice off air that uh, doesn't belong on the, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy that he's doing it. He's 14 and he's showing, you know, he's showing some gusto and he's getting out there and he's doing something. Not a lot of 14 year olds will do it. No, and it's really hard to walk up to someone you don't know and say, hey, can I record your voice? Right. It's, it's a real challenge. It's, it's very nerdy. So congratulations. Yes, sir. Good job. Yeah. And send me your address, Elijah. I'll send you some swag. So, uh, Doug, I'm going to ask you about, about your interviewing style. So yes. a couple of questions about it. So when, have you ever had, first of all, have you had an interview that's completely failed where you had it came in with a plan, you had the perfect guest, and you got him on air and it failed. Uh, see, I've always been able to, well, my podcast, they just kind of, I go with the flow. Like I bring somebody in, I know what they do. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we'll say you, for example, you'd come on my show. We'd talk about your podcast. We'd talk about your guiding. You know, we'll talk about whatever else you're into. But if it's any point that the, you know, conversation goes into peanut butter, jelly sandwiches and your favorite kind of music, that's fine. That's where we go. So there's a somewhat of a structure. I've always got a page full of notes and questions that I want just in case we get stuck, I can go to that. But for me, it's just hanging out with my guests, getting to know them, getting to know their thoughts on things, getting to know what they do. And, you know, that way you don't really get stuck. It's, it's, it's just two guys talking shop for the most part. And that's what I, I'm good at. And that's what I'm sticking to. I'm not a huge question answer question answer kind of guy because I think that's a that's can get really dry sometimes and they answer the same questions to so many podcasts a lot of these people are on podcasts they're on radio shows uh, you know articles and it's always the same questions so for me to be able to get somebody to come in for a couple hours and just talk and wherever it goes it goes that seems to work out and people seem to like it so that's what I do so do it and and uh, are you making a living in the outdoor industry right now? <laughs> no sir no. not even close <laughs> no way <laughs> what what is your primary uh if you don't mind me asking your primary income stream uh well it's i i tell people when they ask me what i do for a living i tell them i sell diabetes <laughs> i fill vending machines for a living so i okay. sell pop pop and candy bars <laughs> so so that's where you you get time to listen to podcasts uh a lot i assume doing that job I, yeah, my earbuds are basically in my ears from about five in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon, just listening mm. to podcasts all day long. All right, so you're 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 not. A, don't tell me your favorite fishy podcast. I know it's yeah. the fish nerds, but of tell me, <laughs> tell me your favorite non fish slash outdoor podcast. Just my favorite take non. Me, take me out of the sporting world, the outdoor world. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, stuff you should know. That's a great show because I love learning about anything and that one's really good at that. Um, let me just flip through mine here just for a second. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a Disney nerd. So oh, really? Yeah. Me and my wife actually belong to the Disney vacation club where it's <laughs> their, their timeshare. So we go there about every two years. Disney world or land? World. I've never okay. been to land. I haven't been to land yet. Been to world multiple times. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just much more to do. Mm -hmm. but I listened to a couple of Disney podcasts, Star Wars podcast, um, Joe Rogan, depending on who his guest is. That's and how I am with Joe. If the guest is good, I'm in. If, yep. Yep. 
Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I try to mix it up. I, you know, a lot of fishing and hunting and stuff, but uh, I try to mix it up with well, just some random stuff too. Good. That's that's great. I always like to hear what people are what are are jiving on and stuff. I listen to my favorite podcast. It's not fishing outdoor stuff. Is uh, is I love the Time Suck podcast. Time Suck pad Time podcast. Suck. Oh, it's, it's a deep dive. Uh, it's written by a comedian named Dan Cummins, and it is so good. And so Long damn way. funny. And it could be true crime one week or it might be Martin Luther King Jr. the week after that. So it's but it, it's very well done. It's a lot of fun to listen to. It's my favorite. Yep. And Mike Rowe's got a good one too. Mike, Mike Rowe does? Rose. Yeah, from the uh, Dirty Jobs guy? Yeah, his is uh, the way I heard it. It's short and I like how he tells a story, but you don't figure out who it is until the very, very end. Yeah. And I listen to an obscene amount of podcasts about podcasting. Like, uh the school of podcasting <laughs> with dave jackson yep yes friend yes. of mine that's, yeah that's about the one that uh, i think wait you were on his show correct i was yeah so and that's how i found out about that was listening to the fish nerds and you played the episode you were on on your show and that's mm-hmm. how i started listening to that one yeah well as a podcaster that <laughs> just like any other industry we have to get better and you know that's that's how we do it and it's we get nerdy about audio equipment and still in stupid oh, so well it's funny every time i have another podcaster on my show especially for the first time mm-hmm. i always warn my guests that you know we're not going to talk about podcasting for the first half of the show like mm-hmm. i would do sometimes <laughs> it's like don't worry we're not going to get into this too deep <laughs> but you know well the audience doesn't always early on doesn't want to know but sometimes we're, we're curious here yeah. And I, I would love it, by the way, if you're, if you're, if you make an outdoor fishing podcast, reach out to us and let's all kind of connect together. There is a Facebook uh, group called uh, fishing podcasts, go there, join the group and we can revi- revitalize it. I'm the owner and manager of that group and I've not done a lot in it, but my dream is to get all the fishing podcasts together in one spot and collaborate and try to grow our audiences together uh, and the way we do that is by helping each other get to make better shows. So if you have audio questions about how to get good audio in the field or in your studio, people like Doug. Doug has great audio, like one of the best sounding shows I've ever heard in the outdoor space. The quality of the audio for SmackDown is perfect. Appreciate um, it. Perfect. And mine is, I do an okay job with audio, but man, I listen to Doug and you get that beautiful voice and makes me tear in my left eye a little bit when he talks uh, <laughs> well you know i've been working on this voice for 38 years clay or wait mr gross <laughs> mr gross to you sir <laughs> so but we can get together we can help each other grow our shows uh most podcasts get less than 120 listens per episode right the median is 120 so if we can get above that for all of us and and you know Doug's got thousands above that. I've got a couple hundred above that. But yeah. we can we can get there together, um, and that's good for the industry because we need to start helping each other grow, um, yep. and not competing. A lot of times in the fishing world, but we get the blue tent versus the red tent conversations, and not the hey those tents can go on the same ice next to each other and, and still serve people and have a good time. So that's the kind of my vision for this kind of fishing podcast world. So. No, no dumpster fires in the podcast world, please. No, it's unless you're st- freezing cold. Then you have well, to. then yeah, that's because you don't have any sponsors and you're, you know, trying to keep the lights on in your house and the heat on. It's a tough one. It's a tough <laughs> one. Closing thoughts: Why should people listen to the SmackDown Outdoors podcast? Why should people listen? Because I just like having fun. I like getting to know my guests. Like to teach people about the outdoors. It's hunting. It's fishing. 
trapping episode, falconry, authors, just your random tackle shop BS from here, you know, here and there. We talked about Sasquatch last night for almost an hour on the podcast. So it's a good time. If you want to learn some stuff, come through, check it out, SmackDown Outdoors podcast. And uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoy it. Anyway, they can find SmackDown Outdoors anywhere podcasts are found, right? Yep. You're in all the places. And, much, yeah. and your website is SmackDoors Outdoors. Door, smack doors. <laughs> Smackdownoutdoors.com. Smackdownoutdoors.com. Links up at the show notes at fishnerds.com, of course, and we'll connect you up. And uh, you, do you like feedback on your show? I do, but I never get it. So please, 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 please send me some feedback. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a rare treat to get feedback. I love it too. Uh, even well, negative stuff. If people have like, hey, I want your show to change in this way. I, I might not do it for you, but I like to hear it. So. Right. It makes you feel like nobody's listening if nobody's talking back. That's right. Exactly. You're talking to yourself all the time. I'm listening. Uh, and I, I just think you just need a hug or something because your last show was so angry that I had to get you on here. <laughs> I just needed to get it off my chest. I'm good I now. It. I, I, I love a good rant, so I'm in. Oh, yeah. Well, keep listening to the show. There's plenty more where that came from. So that's it. You've listened to a whole bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Special thanks to Elijah Bradley, Jim Crowley, the New York Times. That's right. I said it. uh, Steve McConey, (laughs) Douglas Glimmerveen from Smackdown Outdoors. And uh, thank everyone for listening. Yes. The theme song was by Wally Pleasant. And the Fish in the News song was by Diana's Bath Salts. Until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds, spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against that current every chance you get. You did it, Doug. You made a podcast. Congratulations. (laughs) Yay. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.